If you've got a Bible, if you want to open with me to Luke chapter 15, Gospel of Luke chapter 15. A couple weeks ago, I was on an airplane flying to Chicago to speak to some church leaders out there. And I was sitting in my seat, I had an aisle seat, and uh, a gal in her probably mid-60s was walking down the aisle of the plane, and you know that sort of awkward moment where planes keep getting smaller and smaller, it seems, and uh, you've got your luggage, and you're bumping into uh, strangers in strange places, right, and it's just kind of uncomfortable, and and this lady's coming down the middle aisle, and I'm in an aisle seat, and I'm looking at her. And as she's coming down, she has this, this scarf up around her face like this, covering her mouth. And I'm thinking, man, you know, I know the holy bola thing is scary, but I don't know if a scarf is going to, you, know, uh, you know, keep you from getting sick. Because it just looked like she was trying to keep the germs out. And, uh, and, and she got to her seat, and she was just a couple seats away from me, not close enough that I could talk to her, but close enough that I could see her. And she just kept this scarf up this whole time. She just keeps holding this scarf. And finally, you know, 45 minutes into the flight, she has fallen asleep, and the scarf falls down, and I see that on her face, there's this birthmark, this kind of purple birthmark. And I started thinking about her and just thinking, man, this lady's in her mid-60s, probably for 60-some years. She's been walking around, ashamed of who she is, walking around covering who she is. And what a shame, because, you know, she was an you know, intelligent-seeming, fine-looking person who, who could have somewhere along the way been loved by someone and told, hey, that's, that doesn't define who you are. You just let people see that, and don't you even worry about it. But, but she was never told that. And I got thinking, I wonder what she was told as a child by her parents. I wonder what she was told by her classmates, or by her teachers, or by her siblings. What was it that formed into her this deep, deep shame that for, for the rest of her life, as she goes through airports and to bathrooms and restaurants and taxi cabs and everywhere she goes that she would carry this shame with her. And as I sat there kind of thinking about her, I realized that what she carried on her face, most of us carry deep within us. That we all have these different shames that we carry. And for many of us, we don't even realize that we're carrying around a shame or a guilt with us. See, we carry shame around with us. We bury it inside of us. We ignore it and we express it in a thousand different ways. A lot of us wouldn't say, oh yeah, I, you know, I, I carry shame around with me. But we don't realize that's what it is that's driving us away from the people we love. That's what it is that's driving us into poor habits. Shame about things we've done wrong. Shame about things we, we could have done or we should have done. Shame tied to regret. Shame knowing that, that you'll never live up to your dad's expectations. And, and there's shame from things we've legitimately done wrong, but there's also shame from things like birthmarks. Shame that other people put on us that's not right for them to put on us, but they do. And, and we don't know how to get rid of it. 
When we're rejected by others, we feel shame. When we're criticized by others, we feel shame. As I started to study this topic in scripture, I came across some theologians, Christian theologians who write about shame and honor. And I have learned so much and I'm so excited to share it with you guys. But one of the foundational observations that a lot of these theologians make is that first of all, scripture was written in a shame honor culture. And right now in the world, there are a lot of shame and honor cultures. The Middle East is a shame and honor culture. Most Asian cultures are shame and honor cultures. Most African cultures, in fact, almost all cultures around the world other than America are shame and honor cultures. And and because we're not a shame honor culture, we tend to misidentify shame in our lives. Where a man in the Middle East might say, I'm ashamed because I can't provide for my family, an American man might just say, I don't know why I'm really restless. I don't know why I feel really insecure. Sometimes we call our shame low self-confidence. Maybe that's what we'd call it for that gal on the airplane, but that was, that was shame. Sometimes we express our shame as guilt, sometimes as inadequacy. And here's what it looks like. It looks like one of us Christian guys, and we kind of know we should be in a Bible study or a home group with some other guys, but every time we get around with other Christian men, it's like we see the cars they drive, or we hear about their marriage, or we see their house, and it just makes us feel inadequate. So we don't really want to get too close to other guys. And we don't realize that that, that's an inner shame. It's an inner sense of I'm not good enough. Whether we realize it or not, we all carry these differing forms of shame, regret. Shame that I ate that. Shame that I thought that. Shame that I watched that. Shame that I did that. Shame that I bought that. Shame that I drank that. And some people are really good at identifying, I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. And others of us aren't. Especially a lot of us guys. And we just go through life with these kind of this inner angst. Well, when we bury and carry our shame, it, it drives our lives in two trajectories. Here's the first one. Shame drives me away from the people who love me. Really interesting. God starts his love letter to us, the Bible. In Genesis, he tells us how we were created. He tells us that you, as a human being, were created in God's image. And that he loves you and delights in you and longs to have a relationship with you. And he tells us right at the beginning in Genesis 2 verse 25 that when man and woman were first created, they were not ashamed. Could you imagine a life with no shame? Could you imagine how the people around you would treat you differently if they weren't carrying around shame? Can you imagine how different you would be if you weren't carrying around shame? That's God's original plan. But God tells us right from the get-go, Genesis 2, man and woman are not ashamed. Genesis 3, they sin. They turn their backs on God. And immediately, they have shame. And immediately, they run away from God. God, who they used to walk with in the cool of the day, who was their friend, who they knew was their creator and, and had everything they needed, but they, they run away from him. Shame drives us away. From the people we love. I wonder how many adult dads 
won't tell their adult children, I love you and I'm proud of you. If you're a dad, that's all your kids want to hear from you. You know why dads don't say I love you and I'm proud of you? Because they've got shame buried inside of them. And it drives them away from the people they love. Shame also drives me into poor choices and habits. Shame drives me to make ridiculous choices. Adam and Eve go and hide from God and they try to lie to God. We all make foolish choices when shame is at the wheel in our lives. How many people drink because of the shame they carry? How many people spend because of the shame they carry? And shame, we'll really get into this next week, it, it drives us into addictions, whether it's an addiction of people's approval or an addiction of achievement or an addiction for alcohol or a substance abuse or pornography. Shame drives us to these addictions that give us a temporary feeling of relief. And then afterward, we feel so shameful that we turn to that thing and we carry that shame around and we don't know what to do with it and we end up going back to the thing. And it becomes this downward spiral that we're going to talk about next week. And how sad that so many of us and so many of our neighbors and friends carry shame around and have moments where they think, I would really love God's help in my life, but I feel too ashamed to approach him. Or maybe they turn on the Christian radio or they visit a church and everything they hear about God confirms all their suspicions that they should run from him because of their shame, that they should hide like Adam and Eve hid in the garden. Well, thankfully, we're not the first people to struggle with this dilemma. Thankfully, we have a God who, when he looked down and saw us in this dilemma, didn't leave us to squirm, to suffocate. The one true God stepped down into human history in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and, and if you just listen to, to certain churches, you might get the idea that Jesus came to this earth with a big finger to point at people and to shame them. But in his word, God says this, that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Because see, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're already condemned. But if you do believe in him, there's freedom from condemnation. Here's our big idea today. Jesus does not come into your life to shame you. That is not why Jesus comes into your life. Jesus comes into your life to pick you up and to set you free from shame. Now, being picked up and being set free, these are are both words, phrases that scripture uses about you and God. And the reason is because in a shame honor culture to have fallen down, to be on the ground, out on the road with no one to care for you, that is a shameful thing. And when you're in a shameful position, Jesus doesn't come to you to kick dirt in your face. He doesn't come to you to to kick you down further. When you're in a shameful position, he comes to you to pick you up. And when you are trapped 
and a habit or an addiction or just a pattern of feeling that you are ashamed of. He doesn't come to make fun of you. He comes to set you free. Now, if you've been around church much, you've heard the message of forgiveness. That when, when we acknowledge to God, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Jesus, will you be the Lord of my life? Will you forgive me for my sin? When you pray that to God, you are forgiven. And you're adopted into the family of God. And in the Western church, in American churches especially, but also in England and a lot of Western churches, we tend to really focus on the legal aspect of this, which is entirely true. That we were guilty that we stood before a judge condemned because of our sin, that Jesus took the punishment for our sin, and and if we call out to him for forgiveness, then our sin is forgiven and we are now innocent. Okay, that's entirely true. That is the gospel. But I'm here to tell you today, from Genesis to Revelation, there's more to it than that. there's, there's There's more benefit than maybe you've realized Here's why. I titled this series when I started working on it, Innocent. Because in my mind, as a Western American Christian, I thought, what's the opposite of shame? Innocence. And then I started reading these shame, honor theologians, these experts who trace shame from Genesis to Revelation. And you know what I learned from Scripture and from their help? That innocence is not the opposite of shame. Innocence is the opposite of guilt. You know what the opposite of shame is? Honor. The opposite of shame is not innocence. The opposite of shame is honor. And here's the catch. Here's the observation. It is possible to be forgiven and not be honored. And I think this is where the majority of us American Christians live our Christian lives. We know that we're forgiven by God. But we don't think God would ever want to honor us. We kind of feel like maybe a middle-aged dad who had an affair with his secretary. And after five or ten years of hard work with his adult kids, they say, Okay, Dad, I forgive you. You can come to my, you can come to my kids' soccer games now. And the dad is forgiven, but he is not honored. Isn't that how a lot of us feel spiritually? Yeah, I, I know that like legally I'm right before God now. I know that I'm forgiven. But this idea of, of being honored, boy, we still feel ashamed, don't we? A lot of the time. Well, it turns out scripture has tons of stories about shame and honor. And, and we know most of them. We just haven't realized that they're about shame and honor. Beginning in Genesis 2, when Adam and Eve get kicked out of their family kicked out of their home, with no food, with no clothes. Those are all shows and signs of shame in a shame culture. But where does scripture end in the book of Revelation? Well, it ends with people who are far from God being adopted into his family, clothed, given honor, ruling and reigning, having crowns, having clean clothes, having a big feast, the marriage supper of the lamb. These are all shows of honor in a shame and honor society. And it turns out that all between Genesis and Revelation, there's all these Bible stories that we know, but there's another dimension to them. It doesn't change their meaning, but it adds to their meaning when we understand these are stories about shame and honor. 
And today, actually, this whole four-part series, we're going through one story. We'll look at different dimensions of it each week. It's a story you might know as the prodigal son. But you could also accurately call the story this, the story of the shameful son honored. This is the story of a son who does the most shameful things possible in the culture he lives in. He does the most shameful things possible. And not only does he do the most shameful things possible, but forced on him by other people, he ends up in the most shameful position imaginable in that society. And when that son returns to his father, we see that his father does not just forgive him. His father does forgive him. But his father also completely covers his shame and honors him in every way that that culture would honor somebody. You see, in your life, shame is constantly trying to push you down. And grace is like this force that is constantly trying to push you up. In fact, we're going to see a verse where God says that he resists the proud, but those who are humble, he lifts them up. That's a way of saying honors in these cultures. He wants to lift you up if you will humble yourself before him. He wants to cover your shame. He has paid for your shame at the cross. So let's read this story starting in Luke chapter 15 verse 11. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. Okay, so you got a dad, two boys. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, now there's a little pause here because this was not normal in this society It's not even normal in our society, right? For a son to say to his dad, hey, dad, everything that I would get when you die, I want it now. In this society, especially, it was a way of saying, dad, you're better off to me dead. I just want your stuff. I don't want you. It was a shameful thing to do and say. It was a thing that most dads would would not have honored this request, okay? But this father's pretty gracious, compassionate. Okay, son, if that's what you want, that's what you can have. Let's look at verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son, he gathers all this wealth, sets out for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, here's another thing you need to understand about this society. Wealth at this time was accumulated generation over generation over generation. So, so when you're a son in a family at this time, it was just the sons, unfortunately, that, that would receive the inheritance in pretty much all the different cultures of the world at this time, okay? You are receiving not just what your dad worked his entire life for, but what your dad and his dad and his dad and his dad, right? These are people who, they live on the land, they don't have a Walmart, they don't have cars to drive, there's not a lot of infrastructure Right, What you get from your family, that's what you've got. And what you're getting from your dad is, is from generations who have toiled under the sun, farming and raising animals, and, and it is a shameful thing to take generations of work and, and throw them to the wind, flush them down the toilet. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Now, the, the shames are adding up here, okay? Because first, what the son did was shameful by asking for this money prematurely. 
wasting it was shameful. Going to a foreign land in many ways was shameful. Now he's broke. Being in need is shameful in this society. This is not a society where, where there's a salvation army or a rescue mission, okay? He's in need in a foreign land. This is a shameful thing. And he's hungry. Verse 15. So, so he goes and he hires himself out. Another shameful thing. To what? To a citizen of that country, okay? At this time, if you're an alien, a foreigner, it's a shameful thing. Who sent him what to do what? To feed what kind of animals? Even today in the Middle East, there's nothing more shameful than a pig, okay? He longed to fill his stomach with what the pigs are eating, and everyone around him sees that he's in need and he's starving, and they don't care because he's shameful to them. No one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he came to his senses... He says to himself, how many of my father's hired servants, they've got food to spare. And here I am, starving to death. What am I doing? I know, I'll set out and I'll go back to my father's house. And I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. There's there's a true humility here, right? This is not a manipulative I'm just going to go back and try and work my dad, okay? This is a legitimate. He's thinking to himself, yeah, I've really messed up. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. Because, Dad, I know, I I remember from growing up how the hired servants at our house lived, and they lived a lot better than I'm living now. Verse 20, so he got up, went to his father. Okay, And, and, and I love to picture this part of the story uh, because I grew up around farms out in the Midwest on like an old gravel country road, okay? And we know there was, there was a road here and it wasn't paved. Probably wasn't gravel, okay? I like to picture an old gravel country road with a farmhouse and a mailbox and a long driveway. And this, this dad who comes out to every day, goes out to check his mail, and the whole family's like, why does he only take 40 minutes to check the mail? Why is he always checking the mail three times a day? Because this is a dad who's, who's always kind of searching the road to see if there's a little silhouette on the horizon. And this day, he sees that silhouette. While his father was still a long way off, his father saw him. And his father was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now the story's starting to invert a little because now we've got this honorable man, a patriarch, a head of household, an owner of an estate. And those guys don't run in this society. And now he's running. And now he's he's inappropriately just openly his emotions are out there it's almost like he's starting to take a little shame in order to try and honor his son verse 21 the son says to him father 
I know I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now here comes verse 22, the symbols of honor in this society. Let's look at him. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. Right? There, there, were, not, there were not cotton mills at this time. <laughs> Clothes were hard to come by. Clothes were actually assets. They'd be traded like money and cattle. Livestock. So here's this son, and, and while he's been out and has squandered his wealth, not only has he lost everything these generations had worked for, but probably even his own fine clothes, eventually he had pawned off for meals. And now whatever he's wearing is, is shameful. And his dad says, bring my best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. What does a ring on the finger mean? Well, the, this is the ring. This is the ring that a king would have to, to stamp and seal edicts and decrees. This is a ring that symbolizes the assets and the wealth of the estate. And sandals on his feet somewhere. This guy got so hungry he pawned off his shoes. And that's a shameful thing. So the dad says, bring him my best robe. Bring him every sign of honor that we have, bring to him. Maybe you've heard the story before and you've always wondered, why is that older brother so upset at the end? This is why. Because the dad is not just forgiving the son. The dad is extravagantly honoring the shameful son. Put the best robe on him. Give him my ring. Put sandals on his feet. And now bring the fattened calf. Okay, this is, this is different than like a fattened calf even a hundred years ago when you've got a farm and a ranch and a bunch of cows. Okay, this is like a once every few years kind of thing that you kill a fattened calf. I mean, it, it would be normal when you had guests over to just show them your fattened calf. Okay, like now it's like, hey, let's go out in the garage and look at my 1969 Camaro. I don't have one PS, okay? But, but in this day... That's what it would have been, you know? Hey, come, come look at my fattened calves, right? <laughs> look at these puppies, okay? <laughs> this, this was a huge show of honor. You know, this is like what you do if you're the ruler of a tribe and another ruler of another tribe comes. This is a big deal. And we're not just going to kill the fattened calf and sell off most of the meat and be really wise and just eat a little. No, we are going to have a feast We are going to celebrate every servant and every servant's kid. Everyone is going to celebrate. We are going to waste this food. We're going to consume it because we are celebrating in honor. That's how it works in a shame-honor culture. Do you realize that this is the heart of God toward you? Do you realize whatever the shame is in your life, when you humbly come to him, that this is his heart toward you? Not to grudgingly forgive you and let you move into the servant's quarters, but to cover every area of shame in your life with his own honor. To supply every area of inadequacy and lacking in your life with his own supplies. See, the heart of your creator is not only to forgive all who return to him in humility, but it's also to honor them.
And as Christians, we know that it's because of the cross that this is possible. It's because Jesus did carry our shame. He did pay our price. And so the honor that he deserves is applied to everyone who has come under his forgiveness. Because we don't live in a shame honor culture, it's easy for us to miss this really incredible dimension of God's love for us. For example, when he tells us in scripture that he adopts us into his family, this is what it's about. When he tells us in scripture that he feeds us, that he clothes us, this is what it's about. When he tells you that there will be crowns and rewards in heaven, and maybe you thought, that's weird. Get a crown at Burger King for my kids, right? What's a crown in heaven about, right? How many of us Americans are like, oh yeah, crowns in heaven, awesome. Because we don't realize this is what it's about. It's about honor. It's about ruling and reigning. It's about being a co-heir with Christ. Paul talks about that over and over in the New Testament. We'll sit with him at a wedding supper, a massive party. And the book of Revelation tells us we'll be wearing spotless white robes. This is what it's about. Your God does not just forgive you if you've trusted in Christ. He honors you. He elevates you. Because of the cross, because of Christ. To put it this way, in Jesus, we are not only forgiven, we're also honored. And this is where it becomes tragic when we realize that this is God's heart for us. That so many of us who've trusted in Christ and we have been adopted into God's family and we know our legal standing before him, but we don't realize that his heart is this for us. And so we live under the shame. And you know what? Realistically, if you've had a birthmark for 65 years and you've been covering it up, you're probably not going to get over your shame in one day or one week. And some of us have shame of things that were done to us as children or, or, or expectations that we're not able to live up to or, or senses of inadequacy. And, and, and it's not like just hearing one message, you're all, never going to struggle with that again. But here's what I can tell you, you'll never be free from it until you really understand this. And, and as a follower of Christ, as a believer, you believe this. And every day, every week, when those feelings of shame start to surface, you remind yourself, this is who I am. God says I'm not only forgiven, but I'm honored. And if you're like me, you can just remind yourself, you can set your mental eye on that scene of that shameful son coming down that gravel road and that father running to him. And not just saying you're forgiven, but giving him every show of honor. God tells us in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Have you trusted Christ? Do you know him as your savior? If not, you can do that today. And if so, do you know that there's no condemnation for you? Because now when the father looks at you, he sees the perfect son, the second Adam, 
Jesus Christ. Well, travel back with me to that airplane and that dear lady in her scarf. And I want to ask you this. What's the scarf in your life? What's your shame? What is it that you cover up? What is it that you carry with you? Airports and restaurants and taxi cabs and Walmarts, living rooms, bedrooms. What's the scarf? What's the shame? Can you think of some choices in your life that are driven by those feelings of shame? Can you think of some relationships in your life that are strained because of your internal feelings of shame? Wednesday night at our elders meeting, we got to welcome in a new member to our church family. I just love as elders when we get to do this because we get to take the time everyone who's become a member here and if you ever become a member here the elders will take the time to sit down and we like to get to know you and know your story and where you've come from what your hurts are and and this gal shared with us as we asked her about God's work in her life that when she was 10 or 11 years old she had been sexually abused and that she carried that shame with her for years She hadn't done anything wrong, and that's how shame is. Sometimes you're carrying a shame that someone else puts on you, and you didn't even do anything wrong. Shame works that way. And when we asked her what her favorite verse was, she said, Psalm 40, verse 2. Here it goes. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. That's a shame-honor thing. Out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock. And gave me a firm place to stand. You know he wants to do that for you? You know he wants to lift you out of that? That's why he came down into it. Question, do you believe God wants to lift you up out of any shame in your life? Do you really believe that? Or do you still have this sense that he's kind of wagging his finger at you? God promises us this in James 4 verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now God's the only one who's worshipped. He's the only one who's exalted. But for those who worship him, he lifts them up. He sets them free. This is why the great prophecies of Jesus, prophecies that'll come up as we tell the Christmas story, prophecies from Isaiah that say that Messiah, God among us, Emmanuel, he comes to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind. Those are honor, honoring things for shameful people. And as we start to look at Jesus' life and you see him eating with tax collectors and prostitutes, You realize, wow, we think that's kind of radical as Americans. We have no idea in an honor-shame culture for an honored rabbi to go be with the most shameful people of society. For an honored rabbi, when the woman caught in adultery is dragged into the most shameful position imaginable, and, and and he says, 
You're forgiven. Go and sin no more. When we realize that the, the cross, that for a man in Middle Eastern society, even today, a death like a crucifixion, the shame of it is far worse than death for men in a culture like that. The shame, the public humiliation of being publicly executed in the most demeaning way possible, the shame of that, men in the Middle East would, would rather kill themselves first than go through that. Why did Jesus go through that? So that you don't have to. He carried your shame so that you don't have to carry it anymore. Jesus does not come into your life to shame you. He comes into your life to pick you up and to set you free from shame. The question for you and me is if we will have the humility of that shameful son who said, I have sinned. The humility to say, what I've done is wrong. And God, I don't deserve to be part of your family. I don't deserve that, but I'm coming to you in humility, believing that Jesus does deserve it. And Jesus has given it to me as a free gift. John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Have you believed in Jesus? When we understand this idea, the Christian life changes for us. It changes from a religious performance of trying to prove that we're good enough. It changes to living the way that shameful son, when he comes back and he becomes the honored son. From that moment on, he knows he's been given something he didn't deserve and he wants to walk worthy of it. He wants to really be who he is now. That's why the New Testament over and over says, walk worthy. Who you are in Jesus, it's already set by Jesus. It doesn't depend on your performance. It's already set. So, so, so be encouraged. Let's get out there and let's, let's live like who we actually are. Another part of our Christian growth is learning to identify feelings of shame. Learning to identify, why do I feel so restless? Why do I not like that guy? Why do I not like that other mom who's got it all so put together? Oh, oh, I get it. <laughs> Makes me feel ashamed because I'm, I'm not like them. And we take those feelings to the cross. And we, we take them to our Heavenly Father. We say, God... There's like an endless black hole of shame in me. I need your honor. I need your forgiveness. I need your acceptance. I need you to, to fill me up with who you say I am. Imagine a life in which you know not only that you're washed and forgiven, but a life in which you also know that you are wanted and honored that your heavenly father wants you in his house. He wants to sit you at the seat of honor. He wants to make you feel special. All this is possible because of Christ and what he has done for us. I want you to imagine what your life would look like if for one week, if just for the next seven days, you lived this way. 
knowing that you're honored by your heavenly father. Knowing that he loves you and that he wants you. So I want to give you that application as we go from here. We've really kind of just pulled the lid off this week. We've got three more weeks in this study. Uh, and I'm telling you guys, it's because of God's word. It just gets better and better and better. So don't miss any one of the next three weeks if you can, if you can be here. As we start to gather with family, Thanksgiving, Christmas is coming. Some of us are going to have some feelings of shame that get stirred up. That you never did live up to your dad's expectations. Shame that you're not welcome at some family function. Those feelings are going to come. And every day we have shame feelings in us that we just, if you're like me, we don't realize what they are. So I want to encourage you. I want to take you by the hand and pray for you as we end today to start bringing those to the cross. Some of these birthmarks that we've had since childhood, we're not going to get over them in one sermon, okay? But we are going to get over them when we start to identify what they are, bring them to the Father, and accept the honor that he wants to give to us through the cross of Christ. So can I pray that for you guys right now? Can I pray that this week you will know who you are in Christ, that you'll know that Jesus doesn't come into your life to shame you. He comes into your life to set you free. He comes into your life to pick you up. And I'm going to pray that for you right now. Father, Lord, I thank you for these men and these women in this room. Lord, we cannot understand your extravagant love for us your inexhaustible patience for our foolishness and our running away. Lord, each one of our hearts bear in them the wounds of living in a world so full of shame. Well, Lord, if we could only see into each other the ways so many men and women in here were shamed as children, wronged, abused, and Lord, we have shame for things that we've done wrong. We have regrets. We've been criticized. We've been marginalized. Lord, like that shameful son who ran away, in a lot of ways, we, we don't have our sandals anymore. Our clothes are tattered. We've lost the dignity and the joy and the innocence that we had as children. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. Lord, right now, I, I, just, I want to pray for every person in this room that they, in their heart of hearts, would believe your word when it says that you did not come into this world to condemn them, but to set them free from condemnation. Jesus, we'll, we just want to open our hearts before you and just pray that it would sink deep down into the inner parts of us that Jesus, you're walking up to people in this room right now and you're putting your hand on their shoulder and on their heart and you are not coming to them to shame them. You are coming to them to set them free, to pick them up. Father, I pray as we go through this series that there would be a great setting free. Men and women who bury and carry shame. That we'd be set free from that. 
Jesus, you paid a tremendous price at the cross when you carried our shame. So Lord, we're going to go into this week not with unrealistic expectations that we won't feel anything. We might feel more shame than we have in a while because it's getting stirred up. But when we feel it, Jesus, we're going to bring it to you. Father, we're going to remember this story that you gave us. That you're out there at the mailbox waiting for us. You're looking down on the horizon of the road for our silhouette. And we return to you in humility. We, we crawl to you. We drag to you our shame. And we pray that you would enable us to believe and to sense that you cover our shame with your honor. That you clothe us in robes of righteousness. That you adopt us as co-heirs. That you sing over us. That you smile upon us. That you're preparing a home for us. Lord, this week we know our feelings are going to be unpredictable. But when we feel threads of shame, will you help us to turn to you, to look to you, to seek your blessing and your honor through Jesus Christ and him crucified. We pray it in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.